From Toronto, Canada, The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serra. Thanks for inviting me into your home, long-haul truck, RV, camper, taxi, your parents' basement, your loft, that greasy spoon just off the interstate, and your cabin in the woods. Hello to all of you listening in on one of our affiliate stations, the podcast at TalkZone.com. And, of course, those of you listening via the Conspiracy Show app. However and wherever you're listening, I bid thee the warmest of welcomes, and I thank you for your fine company. Charmaine Fraser is with the British Bigfoot Research Team, and she's standing by to join us from Scotland. I'll bet you didn't know that there are Bigfoot in the British Isles. I mean, either, actually, but apparently uh, they've had uh, numerous sightings, particularly in Scotland, and Charmaine has seen one up close. Uh, Once again... Uh, let me introduce to you the one and only Ian Robertson. He's on the other side of the glass, twisting the knobs and turning the dials. He's my technical producer. My story producer and occasional remote viewer is Albert Venzel. Please take a moment to get on up to strangeplanet.ca and find the radio page for The Conspiracy Show. Take a moment to register. There's a blue member button on the left-hand side. Uh, just click on that to register. It's fast, easy, and free. And once you've registered, you gain access to members-only areas like the past show audio archive and the book club and, and more. Uh, when we think of Bigfoot, we typically think of the Pacific Northwest or Northern Ontario or perhaps the abominable snowman in Nepal. Uh, but there have been... Uh, numerous sightings in of Bigfoot or the wild man, as it is sometimes referred to, in Scotland, England, Ireland, and Wales. Charmaine Fraser researches the existence of the UK Bigfoot as a result of encountering them as a child in Angus, Scotland. She started researching the wild man after an accidental discovery of finding Bigfoot over 30 years after her sighting and has been doing so for about three years now. She's interested in sightings and encounters from all over the UK, but now investigates the phenomenon across Scotland in particular. Charmaine is a member of the British Bigfoot Research Team and also helps run the Edinburgh branch of Strange Phenomena Investigations Scotland. Charmaine Fraser, welcome to The Conspiracy Show. How are you? I'm good, thank you. Thanks for asking me on. My pleasure. Uh, you're in uh, in Scotland. Are you uh, near Edinburgh? I am. Edinburgh? I'm in Edinburgh, yes. yes. All right. So... A lot of people, I'm guessing, listening to this are going to be amazed, shocked, perhaps, that you have Bigfoot sightings in the UK. I mean, we're used to, obviously, Bigfoot reports, especially in the Pacific Northwest, in, in Canada and the United States. We get some here in Ontario, not too often. But in the UK, Bigfoot, I mean, that sounds extraordinary. Yes. Yes, it does. But, yeah, over the whole of the UK, we have kind of heading towards 300 reports of either direct sightings, footprints, wood knocks, screams, growls, you know, kind of the behavior that you would associate with Sasquatch. Right. 300 um, over what time span, Charmy? Oh, I think the first kind of modern day recording, recorded kind of strange encounters are kind of around about the 1940s, 1950s. However, we've kind of done research historically and we find that there's a lot of Older tales, folklore, this kind of thing that, that seems to show a lot of characteristics as well. And we think that might be, um, you know, people have encountered these for a long time and it's kind of found its way into myth and legend. All right. So, uh, You're a member of the yeah. British Bigfoot Research uh, Team. How many of there are you? Yeah. I think there's about 
10 of us at the moment. I'm not quite sure. We kind of, I think we've added a few extra people recently. Okay. Um, and uh, these sightings or encounters with Bigfoot in the UK, uh, are they primarily yeah. Scotland, uh, like the Highlands? Are they also in Wales, Ireland? Give me a sense of the distribution. Uh, we have reported sightings from all over the UK and some from Ireland also. Um, I don't know. It's hard to kind of compare Scotland to England because of the size difference. So I think overall, you know, it's kind of... It's quite concentrated in Scotland, but, yeah, from everywhere, from, from the Highlands down to kind of Devon, we're getting sightings. Wales as well, they have their... They have their own sightings there as well. So it's, it's everywhere. Um, Extraordinary. And is the, yeah. the description of the sightings, is it pretty consistent throughout, or does it appear that there may be more than one species? It's fairly consistent. It's fairly consistent. All, all the kind of the descriptions are, you know, black, brown, auburn-type, hairy, large bipedal creatures, you know, there, there's not a lot of, uh, there's no massive variation between them. You right. Know? So uh, I think we're just kind of looking at one one creature, one type of creature, one species here. And is it known primarily as Bigfoot or do, does the name vary depending on the region? Well, we've kind of coined the wild man as our one of the ways we refer to it in the UK, some people call it the wood woes, which is back, that's an old Anglo-Saxon term for it, which kind of shows you ah. how far back this goes. Would it, I'm sorry, again, um, the, the Anglo-Saxon term for Bigfoot is what? Wood woes. Wood woes. Um, yeah, it's the wild man of the woods. Okay, interesting. So that yeah. is that does tell yeah. you at least what, back to the Battle of Hastings or something? <laughs> oh, much, much, much earlier than that. Wow. Much earlier. And okay. these these kind of, the descriptions in the folklore that's not just specific to the UK, they, they're right across Europe. So we're not unique in this. No, and of course here in North America, uh, we, we have uh-huh. uh, the indigenous people that it's part of their oral tradition. A lot of them are, are, are hesitant to talk about it, but if you gain their trust, yeah. they will tell you yeah. uh, incredible stories that have been passed down from generation to generation. Uh, Charmaine Fraser is with us, uh, live on the line from Scotland, uh, part of the British Bigfoot research team. Yes, they have Bigfoot or Wildman sightings across the United Kingdom. Uh, this for you is, is personal. You had a sighting in, in Scotland. Um, yeah. How long ago was this? Oh, God, it's, uh, well, what would be about 1980, so many decades ago now. <laughs> Not that long ago. Uh, I was, uh, well, yeah, it was, uh, I, was, I was only about seven so uh, I was just a wee girl when uh, when I saw what I saw, you know. Um, you were out watch- walking your your grand's uh, grandmother's dog. Yes, we were on our way down to get the papers from the neighbour. It was something we did quite frequently. The papers would get dropped off at the bottom of the the kind of the main road, and one of us would get sent down to get the papers. And we were always happy to do it because we'd get a sweetie from the neighbour or whatever when we went to visit. So it was just a a normal thing to do. So I was walking with my granny's house was along a track. Um and we I was coming down this kind of curved bit that leads to the track and the dog just kinda of, she stopped dead and started snarling and whining and uh, you know, hackles up and 
I kind of continued past her for a couple of metres around the corner and there in front of me was this large black kind of creature standing in the track when it's back to me. Very hairy, I'm guessing. Well, yeah. I mean, it was just uniformly black. Ah, okay. Absolutely black. There was no, you know, apart from, there was no discerning like details I could make out. I think at the time I wasn't taking note of things like is it hairy or anything, you know, because I didn't, it was a monster as far as I was concerned, you know. Sure. Yeah, that gave me bad dreams for a couple of years, that that experience. And Um, uh, this is in um, Arbroath Angus. Where is that in Scotland? Well, it's actually up in Carmyle, which is north of Arbroath. It's about eight miles outside of Arbroath. A heavily wooded area? Angus. Heavily wooded area? At the time, it was. At the time, um, the whole surrounding area was uh, Sitka spruce. Um, it's interesting because it wasn't always like that. There was a quite a well-known slate, slate quarry at Carmyle, uh, which shut in about 1951. And then they planted spruce on that, that property around about kind of late 60s. So we're talking late 70s, early 80s, you know, it was fairly heavily wooded. Okay. Um, right around the area, right around the property. Okay. It's not like that now, unfortunately. But uh, So you see this, uh, this, this creature, you estimate two meters, which is what, between seven and eight feet tall? Yeah, it's kind of around, well, six and a half to seven feet. Okay. I think the ones we have here are generally smaller than what gets reported in the States and Canada. Okay. And you're how far away from it? About 30 metres. We've 30. measured it since, and yeah, it was about 30 metres away. Okay, and and it's got its back to you. What is it doing? It's just, It was just standing. It, it, it reached up and it was it pulled down a, a lower branch on this ash tree, and it was just looking at it. So it was standing with its back to me, just looking at this piece of ash branch. It was... That's all it was doing, you know. So... And uh, give us some more details of its of, of its physicality. Yeah, it, so it was, as I say, it was very large, black, just uniformly, just pure black, um, very thick set, thick arms, set. legs, mm-hmm. and very broad shoulders. I think that's one of the things that really struck me, that and the fact that it didn't seem to have a neck. It just kind of went shoulder, head, shoulder. There was no, you know, with a human, if you look at them from the back, you could, there's clearly a, a, a neck, right. you know. This wasn't there. It, for the years before I kind of figured out what this was, I used to describe it as like a gorilla, but standing upright. Right, right. Yeah. So were the arms? Were the arms? You, you mentioned they were. It was thick set, but were the arms yeah. proportioned to the body, or were they longer, like a gorilla? Um. This. Oh God, that's a detail that I didn't take in at the time, you know. Right. Um, what about based on sightings uh, before or after accounts of the arms, the which, length of the arms? Yeah, the arms do tend to be a bit longer. Okay. Um, I, mean, I mean, I think from sightings that, you know, from reports I've had and reports other people have collected, you know, that you're, you're kind of looking at the classic kind of Bigfoot right. physiology, you know, slightly longer arms, you know, they're not quite human looking. It's you know. And did, did it have its back to you the whole time? Yeah, until I screamed. Because I screamed. stood in shock for a second while sure. I tried to process this. Then I screamed, and it slowly started to turn. 
And I didn't wait to see its face. I just ran back to the house. Um, very upset. Obviously, no one believed me that there was a monster outside saying, oh, it must have been a neighbour. There was just no way this was a neighbour, you know what I mean? Right, I'm sure right. we would have noticed a neighbour that looked like that. So, uh, and the way the dog reacted, and that was the thing that stuck in my mind sure. for years and years, was like, that dog picked up on something. It wasn't even in line of sight of this thing. What the hell was that, you know? Charmaine Fraser is with us. She is with the British Bigfoot Research uh, Team and uh, detailing her own Bigfoot or Wildman encounter uh, back in the 1980s in in Scotland, near Angus, Scotland. We'll uh, take a time out, come back and uh, continue to talk about uh, the Wildman of the UK right here on The Conspiracy Show. My name is Richard Serrett. Stay with us. The owners of the system are asleep. Now we can play. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. We are back with Charmaine Fraser with the British Bigfoot Research Team. And you were describing your encounter with this large black figure about six and a half, seven feet tall, 30 meters away from you. And uh, this was not like at dusk. I mean, this was in midday. So you got a good yeah. a good look at this, this creature. Yeah, this is kind of... I, it was sometime between kind of early morning and early lunchtime. Sure. You know, uh, yeah. The time of year, it was spring, summer. Okay. Because everything was very green. I mean, in Scotland, it's very marked, you know, kind of April, May time is around the time it starts to get green around here. You're a very impressionable seven-year-old. I mean, our, yeah. these are the formative years. And I'm wondering how that might have affected you. You're, did you have, was there a... No, and especially since no one believed you, uh, mm. did, did it affect you uh, in, in any way, your personality or emotionally? Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, I mean, I definitely showed some post-traumatic stress signs. I mean, I had recurring nightmares for quite some time afterwards. In my dreams, there were like bears standing on their hind legs because I mean, I didn't have any kind of concept for right. what it was I'd experienced. Um, also, I mean, yeah, it kind of made you quite. Well, it made me quite frightened. I mean, sure. uh, when I was up in my granny's, I used to be very vigilant about making the curtains shut at night. There wasn't even a gap between them, you know. And right. What's interesting is this daylight sighting, that was the main thing. But I did see something around there at night um, when we were approaching the house in the car one night. And we were just turning onto the track. There was a large figure standing up, about 200 meters up the road. And um, large grayish. Now... It could have just been a person, but the thing that I've, you know, since discovered is what made this really interesting was that there was orange eye shine coming from this. Creature. When when the when now, the headlights of the car hit the yeah. eyes, the iris, right? Yeah. Now you know, human eyes don't do that. Our pupils aren't large enough. I don't think what we're looking at is a, a nocturnal membrane type thing, but I do think we're looking at something with large pupil size. But to eye shine that far away. From a humanoid. And how how long after your initial sighting was this second sighting? I don't know. I really don't know. I mean, because I was so young, and it was so long ago. I mean, at the time, I kind of went, "Oh, it must be a person." Right. Who was in the car with you at the time? Do you remember? Um, my mum and dad and my brother. I think I can't remember if any of my younger brothers and sisters were around at that point. What was, what was their reaction? <laughs> what? How did they react? They didn't, to this? They didn't seem to notice. Ah. Uh. 
They didn't seem to notice. Did that they probably just thought it was someone standing at the top of the road? Did that add to your anxiety and your what you described as a, a, a post-traumatic? Um... Well, yeah. I mean, when you're little and you kind of see something that makes you think monsters are real and they're living in the woods around here, hmm. yeah, it kind of. I've always been quite hyper vigilant around woodland ever since. Not that I won't go into it or anything, but there are times when I'm a bit like, oh, don't want to go in there, you know what I mean, before I kind of start researching this. Charmaine Fraser is with us, and she is with the British Bigfoot Research Team and uh, describing her own personal encounter with a wild man of the UK. Was it your sister that uh, discovered something in the woods as well? Yeah, I mean, my brothers and sisters, I'm the eldest of six, so there's there's quite a continuation of siblings. That, that, and we all spent a large amount of our childhood up at our grannies. So the, they'd be up playing around the quarries and stuff. And, and my sister, one of my sisters basically said that they found this strange kind of, it was like a den made of branches at the, at the north end of one of the, the water holes. There's a lot of water. There's three water holes in this quarry. And um, there was a series of skulls, uh, different kinds of animal skulls, and they were arranged in a kind of semicircle type pattern. And they found this when they were reached. They said there were skulls all over the place, but this was really odd. So it was like deer, rabbit. She looked, it said it was either fox or dog skull. You know, all these right. different ones arranged in a circle. Uh, so no and wild. Yeah, this semicircle sort of. Yeah. Which would so seem to indicate some sort of intelligence. Yeah, yeah. Um, almost a sense of aesthetics, if you like. You know? Right, <laughs> so right. When you made the decision to, to join the British Bigfoot uh, research team, mm-hmm. uh, and I guess in, in, in essence go public with your sightings, I mean, you're, you're, yeah. you studied psychology at St. Andrews University. That's right, yeah. Um, yeah. I've got a background in research psychology. Was um, was there a was there some hesitation? Did you think, oh, am I, do I really want to do this? Because you know the, the, the cynics and the skeptics and the debunkers out there will have a field day mm-hmm. with this. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's funny the way it happened. I actually, I mean, initially I didn't go public, but we had, um, we, there's one of the guys in Kentucky, uh, Thomas Markham, he runs the Crypto Crew website, and he'd asked if, he could get some examples of British sightings. So some of us sent them to him. And then not long after, I got a message saying that one of the local Scottish papers wanted to interview me about this. And I thought, well, why not? I want people to start thinking about what they've encountered. I mean, I myself didn't realize what this was for 30-odd years. It was really an episode of Finding Bigfoot. I came across it by accident and, and went, oh, hang on here. And that's where the researching started, if you like. Oh, so, isn't that amazing? So you, you really, I mean, for you, all intents and purposes, it was just a monster that you saw. Yeah. You didn't yeah, piece it yeah, together yeah. with the, the Bigfoot legends of UK until many years no. later. Yeah. I mean, back when I had my sighting, there was no such thing as Internet. And it's not something that I think Scots people are not the greatest at talking about 
things that make them afraid or they don't understand. People tend to be quite stoic. They tend not to talk about things that they might get ridiculed for. No kidding. I'm, so, I'm British. Yeah. My heritage is British and I, English. Yeah. So, yeah, we, we like to stick those emotions deep down inside until they become oh, yeah. hard like a diamond. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Real healthy. Now, my experience of um, sharing with other people who've had similar experiences, and there aren't that many of us, but I found that very helpful. Yeah, And I thought, well, maybe other people have had these kind of encounters and they're sitting with this um, experience with no way to share it or describe it for fear of ridicule. So maybe I want people to start thinking about what they've experienced. So I spoke to the Sunday Post, which is um, based in Glasgow, but it's kind of distributed across Scotland. And then I spoke to the Dundee and Angus Courier, because that's very local to where I'd had my sighting. And then it just went mad. It went kind of viral. All the tabloids nicked it and nicked the story and twisted it. And, oh, God, it was... It kind of went from there, really. Um, and people started contacting me and kind of people from the paranormal scene. And a very good friend of mine, Alison Dunlop, she runs the EDX Files show. And she basically kind of helped kind of bring this all to light and got me to do a show with her and she's been very good at, at kind of putting me out there but I'm not a massive one for the limelight to be honest right but, right yeah I mean I'll, I'll stand up and say honestly look guys this is what I experienced and this is what I think it is and I'll, I'll speak honestly about it because you know from from that over the past three four years you know now we're getting into the stage where I'm getting people contacting me with their experiences and encounters and some are very relieved that they have someone they can, sure. can speak to about. How, uh, are any of these encounters, do any of these encounters involve um, a menacing uh, creature, a threatening creature? No, no, it's all... Well, I think... I've had descriptions... I mean, I've, I, I, basically, I'm in contact with someone at the moment who has continuous activity on her property. And there's things like huffing noises and wood knocks and stomping noises and kind of that territorial, non-confrontational stuff that they do. But no one's ever been directly attacked or anything like this. And most sightings seem to happen by accident. Um, I don't know. It's like they're not paying attention for a minute and they get caught out. Sure. You know, so there's no... As far as I know, we don't have the kind of stuff that David Pallides talks about and things that, you know what I mean? It's, there's no missing people, what not that we know of, that right. can be attributable to that. And I think these things have probably survived because they're not confronting people. Right. Uh, you know. the, the Scotland, uh, the British Isles, pretty small. Yeah. I mean, uh, you, yeah. uh, you could fit, I don't know, how many a dozen of those just within a, maybe a corner of, uh, of, of British Columbia, for example. I mean, yeah. the Pacific Northwest yeah. is yeah. just enormous. Yeah. Uh, and of course, you always get this question that habeas corpus, you know, why hasn't one of these creatures wandered onto the M6 or something, uh, the M5, uh, one of your motorways and been struck by a, a lorry, as you call them over there? Uh, yeah. you know, why, why no physical evidence? Of a body, for example. Well, I think these things aren't dumb creatures. Um, I think, I don't know, I think they've learned to keep away from us. I don't know, it's a big question, Where, what happens to their dead? You know, how mm. can we never find 
skeletal remains. And I was arguing this point with my son the other night because he's healthily sceptical. And um, he, I was saying to him, look, this isn't a case of looking at dumb animals. I think you're probably more accurate in thinking about it as um, a tribe, you know, some kind of, you know, what's the word? primitive tribe right. you're not looking at something that's stupid right <laughs> yeah it's been suggested that they bury their dead and, and yeah so forth. yeah i mean i mean that's that's a practice that's gone right back to heidelbergensis about two hundred thousand years ago um and you know i do think what we're looking at here is a hominid species so the missing you know, link like, perhaps the missing link i don't know if there's such a thing as a missing link <laughs> i think we're just Filling in the gaps of the evolutionary record, I think it's, um, you know, there's all these new hominids being found. So, uh, you know, we have the Denisovans and Florensiensis and, you know, these have all been quite recent discoveries. Right. So, um, you know, we're slowly finding kind of evidence of other hominid species. But as to why we don't find bodies, well, I just don't think they're stupid. And I think we're very easy to avoid. And people look at the UK and go, it's tiny. You know, you know every inch of it. It's like, right. well, no, in reality, we don't. And especially in Scotland, the population is mainly situated around the coast and across the central belt between Edinburgh and Glasgow. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the rest of it is very, very, very rural. Um, we're like a tiny version of the Northwest Pacific Rim in terms of climate and terrain, but we're just like a tiny miniature version of it. Right. So, you know, it's you know we we don't in reality in real everyday life know every inch of the the wilderness around us. Something comforting in that, actually, uh, yeah. I find. Yeah. Um, how many how many breeding pairs do you suspect there would have to be uh, in order for this to be a, a sort of a viable population? Do we have any no idea? idea. Yeah. <laughs> I have absolutely no idea. It's because what we're doing is speculating from observed instances and we don't have enough of those yet to really kind of extrapolate. It's it's very, very hard to to figure that out. Right. You know? I mean okay. one thing we do seem to find is they we don't seem to travel alone. There always seems to be more than one of them. Right. And in some areas where they've got settled there'll be groups perhaps four. Fascinating. All right, we'll take a time out to uh, Charmaine. Charmaine Fraser with the British Bigfoot Research Team is with us, and we'll continue this discussion of the UK wild man when the Conspiracy Show continues right after this. Stay with us. The truth is not out there. It's right here. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Charmaine Fraser stays with us from the British Bigfoot Research Team. Give us a website, if you would, Charmaine. Our main page is on Facebook. So if you type in British Bigfoot Research, you'll find us on Facebook. One of our researchers is Debbie Crosley Hatzell. She's basically one of the biggest collectors of reports, sightings, anecdotes, stories in the UK. I think she, she's been doing this for about 30 years. She's got quite a good blog that really um, puts a lot of these stories in one place. It's ukwildman.blogspot.com. UKWildman.blogspot. Just one word. Yeah. Blogspot.com. Got it. Okay. What other types of uh, of evidence has there been scat uh, recovered? Hair samples recovered? Anything? No, not not so far. We're not organised enough. I mean, there's just a handful across the UK that are are researching this. Casts I mean, of footprints. 
Well, that's my next goal. I have been lucky enough to be contacted by someone and have been able to start regularly visiting an area where they have year-round activity. And she's been the woman there has very kindly been keeping me updated. So she's sent photos of prints that she's found. She hasn't cast anything yet, but she's not a researcher as such. But we'll, we'll get her indoctrinated. But um, this area, I think, is is where I'm going to get some pretty good evidence. I mean, based on the photographs and prints she's been showing me, if I can get down there when they're fresh, we'll be getting casts from there. And that that's my aim is to get some decent evidence. And what what from. area is this uh, specifically? It, in the borders, that's all I can say. What is that, the borders? The borders is the southern, one of the southern regions of Scotland. So it's between, it's on the east side of Scotland between kind of, what's, how many miles, 20, 30 miles south of Edinburgh. And that's between Lothian and north of England. Okay. So, which is quite interesting. It kind of links between um, Scotland and, and kind of Northumberland. Uh, Northumberland's an area where there's quite a lot of sightings and, and activity being reported. Would that be near old Hadrian's old wall? Yeah, yeah. So, uh, okay. So we think they probably, we don't know how far the range or if they go up and down the country, you know. We are finding some interesting things, like they seem to like railway lines. And they seem to be using them in the same way that people use motorways, you know. So a lot of sightings are very close to new and old railway lines. Oh, and interesting. Quarries and so the some trains. of them are abandoned, but yeah. some of them are, are actually in, in, in use? That yeah, is... but the trains here stop around 11, 12 at night, apart from the odd freight train. So passenger trains kind of stop 11, 12 at night. So a lot of these routes are very quiet. Of course, there's no people. Right. Um they provide good, what we call green corridors, which is um, a path from one habitat to another that provides food, water and shelter. So, you know, it's an interesting theory. Sure. Are you getting sightings from train engineers or employees of the railway? I haven't heard any from anyone who works on the railway as yet, but there have been sightings from people who have been on trains or around railway tracks at night of tall figures seen running down a, a railway track. So, yeah, it's quite Any interesting. Again, these, these are kind of nondescript, though. They're going, oh, there's a large, tall man or something running down the track. You know, it's, it's right. Bigfoot, Sasquatch, that kind of thing. It's not in the public consciousness in the UK in the way that it is over there. Right. Over with you guys. Any compelling photographic or video evidence? I have been sent one photo recently, which I think is very compelling. I think it's a head and shoulder shot. I've been back to the area to do some comparison shots. As far as we can tell, there's nothing there that is a result of pareidolia. It, there genuinely is something in that photo. However, I'm, I'm quite a stickler, so I'm like, <laughs> it's hard to get the exact angle again, but I've stood where I think it was standing, and it was a fair bit bigger than me. However, I want other people to analyse this before I ever go public with with that, you know, I mean, so as a, you're applying your uh, your training in, uh, as a psychologist here, you use the term pareidolia? Pareidolia. It's a phenomenon. It's a natural phenomenon. Our brain is geared to make sense of shapes around us. It's right. why you see pictures in the clouds and this kind of thing. It's right. where our visual system is organized. So our brain will try and make sense of what it is that we're seeing. So if you see a random pattern, you can make all sorts of pictures out of it. Right. And once so you see it, you can't unsee it. 
Yeah, kind of. And sometimes you're seeing things that aren't there. So, you know, you know, I don't know how much you look into the, the Bigfoot community, but there's a lot of ambiguous and fuzzy photos going about. Absolutely. i got to take a quick break here, but it's uh, like Mitch, the comedian Mitch Hedberg said, the late Mitch Hedberg, maybe Bigfoot is actually fuzzy. Uh, we'll come back. <laughs> just permanently out of focus. <laughs> That's right. Charmaine Fraser is with us, the British Bigfoot research team. Back with more in a moment. Anyone can create a podcast on the web. In fact, there are millions of them online. But if you want quality Internet talk radio, just remember this address, TalkZone.com. TalkZone is Internet talk radio for planet Earth with talented hosts, great guests, and good conversation. Ready to share your thoughts and ideas with a global audience? Become a TalkZone show host yourself. Learn more at TalkZone.com. Internet talk radio for planet Earth. TalkZone.com. Fasten your seatbelt and put your tray in the upright position. You're about to leave everything you know behind on The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Charmaine Fraser stays with us, the British Bigfoot research team, and we are talking about the wild man of the UK. Uh, And if you'd like to learn more, you can uh, uh, Google their Facebook page or you can look up a a blogger. Uh, It's ukwildman.blogspot.com. Ukwildman, all one word, dot blogspot.com. Before the break, we were talking about uh, uh, photographic video evidence, and you're investigating mm-hmm. one recent photograph that was sent to you. Any other any other videos or anything, or is it just the one so far? For me personally, it's just that one I have planned. But as I say, I mean, basically, I've, I've had to put a lot of this on the back burner for a while because I've just finished my nursing degree, and that takes up a lot of time. Sure. And most of us in the UK, you know, we are amateurs. We're doing this in our spare time. So there are other researchers from Wales and England who are trying to catch footage. There's some interesting stuff coming out of the the north of England at the moment, but the the guy who's doing this kind of wants to keep it under wraps at the moment because, I mean, the community community can be quite unforgiving and uh, quite hesitant to put ambiguous things out there um, or claim anything. Right. Yes, unlike the the community here, unlike the community here that every other week you hear someone has a a Bigfoot body on ice. (laughs) Oh, yeah. No, that's the right approach. It's, yeah, it's to keep it under wraps until you're you're sure you've got something solid. Absolutely. Well, that's it. I mean, I've got hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of photos, but to actually have really compelling evidence, it's going to take time and a lot of patience. And I think you have to be quite stringent. Um, so, yeah, I mean, there are some things that we're finding, but no one's very keen to put ambiguous things out there. And I think it's not good for the community if you do, because it just muddies the waters. You know, it just kind of becomes hard to filter out what's worth looking at and what isn't. Right. Um, one of the areas that we do a lot of research into is the structures, these stick structures and structures in the woods. And we find similar structures from all over the country. They all kind of look the same. You know, we find some really odd things in the woods. Things like the big X's and logs kind of wedged up into, you know, dead trees wedged way up into other trees and just things that aren't natural. And at the moment we're going through this process of figuring out, is that wild man activity? Some of it can be dismissed as bushcraft. You know, survivalism, right, kind right. of survivalist practices and things like that. But a lot of it isn't, and it's very odd. 
And uh, what I think is interesting is, you know, we're finding this across the country. And it's that traveller sign that, you know, so we're finding arches and X's and all sorts of things, different sizes of stuff. And uh, there's a lot of focus being kind of put on that at the moment. That seems to be the trend in the research here at the moment. You mentioned your sister who had uh, seen uh, one of these sort of impromptu shelters uh, mm-hmm. Made of sticks in 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 the woods, and this mm-hmm. circle of of uh, animal skulls, deer and fox yeah. and so forth. Has has that ever been seen again? Not up there. Um, but then no one was looking. Right, so, right. And I haven't heard of that since. However, it's a lot of sightings are by people in areas where oh, they've gone walking or, you know, it's not some place they might normally go. It's not where they live. And I think we're going to get the best evidence from areas where people have activity on the properties. Right, right. You know, and people are only just beginning to come forward now. So it's a case of watch this space. You know, it's it's going to take a few years, I think, to really, really get proper, more detailed things. And if we're lucky, find more unusual stuff like that, you know. When you decide uh, to actually do an investigation, uh, what what mm-hmm. kind of resources, what kind of uh, manpower, time, and so forth is involved? And How, how do you conduct uh, a re- uh, an investigation? Or how do you intend to? Um, well, quite often it's, it's, I, do the, I do it myself. Um, I don't have a team up here in Scotland yet. Um, I've kind of teamed up with the lady in the borders. As I say, she's there all the time and keeps me updated. And I go down as much as I can to investigate. It's a huge area that, that, that's involved here. So um, that's an ongoing thing. And there's just the, kind of the two of us that will go wandering about. And she's the expert there because she lives there. Right. I've had reports from... I had a report from Angus this summer about two people who were driving home and they... One of them saw what she thought was a hiker, but then it leapt back into the woods. And I went up to investigate the area, especially because it was Angus. You know, it was quite not too far from where I had my own encounter. And, um, yeah, we found some, I found some very, very odd structure woven into the deer fence. Now, deer fences are quite high, and this thing was a mixture of dead and live trees all woven into the top of this deer fence. And... Um, where they saw this creature or this thing jump into the woods, the deer fence has actually been pulled down at that point. Um, but nothing massively conclusive. We'd, the first time I went up there, it was absolutely silent, very oppressive, felt sick, you know, kind of really not a nice experience. And I went back again about three or four weeks later, and it was just normal. You know, it was just a normal wood. It right. was really odd. Um, it's basically a case of... I mean, my resources are quite limited at the moment. Technology is very expensive. So it's really just recording what I can on my rather rubbish camera. And uh, we'll get there. You know, it's... Uh, so <laughs> I'm, kind of reading be- I'm kind of reading between the lines because you're, you're being very cautious here, and understandably so. Yeah. So you're, you, you may have more than you're letting on in terms of evidence. You're just not ready to divulge. And I respect that. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Okay. Um, what about Bigfoot sightings here uh, mm-hmm. are often 
accompanied by the foulest smell imaginable. People always seem to talk about this odor. Uh, I I haven't heard you mention that yet. Um, No, it's not something I've experienced. Um, And it's not something that seems to get mentioned a lot. Occasionally, a strange smell like rotting meat or something like this will be mentioned. But not in the majority of reports we've had, um, which is quite interesting. Uh, there's, there are theories about that. There are theories about this being a stress response. It's kind of a hormone. Gorillas have this. It's, it's separate to their normal sweat glands. So when they're stressed or put in conflict situations, they exude this smell. Um, and this seems to be similar. So I don't know if it's because they're not stressed, they're not feeling threatened, we catch them unawares. Not really sure why that is, but very, very few reports here come accompanied with this description of strange smell. Interesting. There are some, but not many. Charmaine Fraser is with us from Scotland, and she is a member of the British Bigfoot Research Team. Um, have you, uh, because I guess the, 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 the Bigfoot uh, sightings, Bigfoot research perhaps has a, had a bit of a head start here in North America, um, mm-hmm. do, you, do you have Bigfoot research researchers in Canada or the U.S. who are planning to come over to assist? What, to come over here to yes. assist us? Yes, um, Not at the moment. At the moment, we're just getting past people being completely incredulous. So. Right. <laughs> yeah, um, there's been a, vari- a variation of reactions from interest to just outright dismissive hostility. So it's, uh, I think it's, a, it's an idea that's slowly beginning to take on, that, yeah, we have this in the UK and Europe. Right. Um there is the um, so far, no. There's not been any offers of anyone to come and give us a hand. The uh, the other sort of cryptozoological phenomena over there uh, is has to do with these big cats in the UK. Um, yes. I'm just wondering. I mean, are there any parallels there in terms of? I mean, ori- originally it, it was you know totally dismissed, and then now it mm. seems to be gaining some traction. Common. That, it's so common. Big cat sightings are. Ten a penny now over here. There, there, there's nothing paranormal about it. These big cat sightings. Um, back in, I think it was the late 60s or so, um, there was a change to. I think it was the Wild Animals Act. A lot of people used to keep things like pumas and panthers and things as pets, and then the law changed. So a lot of them were released in the wild back then, and now we're seeing an increasing amount of big cat sightings. So we think what's happened is there was enough to basically have a, a viable breeding population and what we're seeing now is the end result of that. Um, so these are perhaps crossbreeds, you know, panthers, pumas, that kind of thing. And they have, they've, they've ended up thriving in the wild. And they're everywhere. I mean, in Angus alone, I think there's been at least 20 sightings in the past year or two. Oh, is that right? Yeah, I mean, there was a sighting of a large puma. Right, this is quite interesting. I live in Edinburgh at the moment, and there's a hill in the city called Arthur's Seat. And um, years ago, a friend of mine had, you know, he he um, he and some friends were up there at night, and they heard this big growling noise, and he was quite frightened by it, but he, they didn't know what it was. He said it sounded, you know, you know, like a, an animal. 
Um, and not so long ago, I think last year it was reported in the news, the helicopters had been out searching for a woman who'd gone missing in that area. And there's a whole park area around this hill. So they had the thermal cameras, the helicopters, and they caught footage of a large puma-type cat on the hill in the centre of Edinburgh. Wow. There's an old railway line that actually runs out of the town from there, and I think that's probably how it's come into the city. But that gives you an example of just how commonplace they are, and they're everywhere. Right. Well, you Um, know, the the progression is interesting because at first it was people were incredulous, and then sort of the paranormal community sort of... uh, glommed onto this and, and suggested mm. that, that uh, these creatures were perhaps interdimensional. Uh, and, and I noticed the same thing with, with, with Bigfoot uh, in, in, in the yeah. UK. It, the paranormal community has said, well, these are interdimensional. That's the only way how you could explain uh, you know, that, that, that they haven't been discovered, that they're sort of flitting in and out of our dimension. Does that, does that bother you? Uh, do you find that an annoying or... It's not annoying as such. I just choose not to try and research that. I just don't even know where you'd begin. I'm trying to keep it as empirical as I can. Right, right. Because that's how I know how to research. And if I'm going along those lines, I'm looking for physical evidence rather than speculative kind of why do we not see them so often. I mean, it could just be as simple as they're just really good at hiding and we're not very observant. You know, and... You know, the the woods and, and the hills and the wilds, that's their backyard. We are not really, we go out for walks, we go out hiking, we might go out and do a bit of camping, but we're not at home out in the wild. They are. So it could be as simple as hiding underneath a gorse bush till the people walk past. You know, it's just people aren't looking. Right, right. This. Well, I wish you luck with your uh, your investigations, uh, Charmaine, and I thank you for spending some time with thank us. Thank you. Well, thanks for asking me. It's been, it's been good. <laughs> Charmaine Fraser is a member of the British Bigfoot Research Team. And again, uh, if you'd like to read a, a, or follow a blog on this subject, you can log on to UK Wildman, all one word, ukwildman.blogspot.com, or just uh, Google their Facebook page. British Bigfoot Research Team. Again, Charmaine, thank you so much. Thank you. All right, that's it for me. We are done. My thanks to uh, Ian Robertson, Albert Vinzel, and Ryan White back next week with a brand new program. Happy 2017 to all of you. In the meantime, don't be afraid. There is nothing concealed that won't be revealed and nothing hidden that won't be made known. What you hear in the dark, speak in the light. What I say in a whisper, proclaim from the housetops. Move over, Aphrodite. I'm coming home. Good night. Good night.